Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue. this, this is the pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Oh, payback from the district. Welcome to this episode of Orange and Blue Blood. EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer with you for another episode of Orange and Blue Blood, the New York Knicks podcast hosted by Odyssey and WFAM. We got a lot to talk about on this show. We will be talking about this Knicks loss to the Wizards, a pretty uninspired performance, a wire-to-wire loss. We'll break down uh, what happened. And, and how concerned we should be now that Mitchell Robinson, who played in that game and only played nine minutes, could be out for a little bit. So we'll talk plenty about that game. We'll also talk about the latest trade rumor. And this one, I, I feel actually maybe the most interesting one we've heard. So it feels like the one that is most plausible. <laughs> so uh, we'll break down how a, a future reunion could be on the way for the New York Knicks uh, before the trade deadline. And we're wrapping up our series on midseason grades. So we talked about the guards we talked about the forwards we talked about the front office and we talked about the coaches now we'll be talking about the bigs the, the big men in the middle of course mitchell robinson being the main guy who's now out um we'll get his grade in before he he, he maybe hits the uh, shelf for a little bit so plan to get to on this show again if you enjoy these episodes make sure you uh subscribe and hit the auto down download feature wherever you get your podcast including the free odyssey app so you can get these episodes every time you drop you drop three times a week and Tommy, that game last night, one of the tougher watches of the season. I, I tweeted that to me. This felt like one of this felt kind of like the the game they had against San Antonio that they lost. I thought that was the most unwatchable game of the Knicks season. This is probably right there, number two. Agreed. It was ugly. Uh, it was sloppy, choppy. Um, Knicks didn't play well, and Knicks didn't seem to be missing that 
oomph, that 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 energy, um, that that kind of push that you that you need to see right from the opening tip. Um, you know, they went down 2-0. Beal hit a hit a little jumper. Um, Knicks never tied or regained the lead the rest of the way. Uh, one of only two games of the season um, that the Knicks trailed from from start to finish. And um, we'll get into some of the reasons why. Um, but yeah, uh, from just from a, an aesthetics point of view alone, um, that was an ugly one. Yep. So the Knicks lose a wire to wire defeat to the Wizards, one sixteen, one hundred five. Which is led by double digits pretty much the entire entire game had the biggest lead of the game at 17 at one point and were in control completely for pretty much every facet of the game kyle kuzma led the way with 27 points former fan favorite turned nick foe Kristaps porzingis added 22 points in the wizards win for the Knicks side uh jalen brunson did have another uh stellar offensive game he had 32 points in this one rj barrett added 22 uh julius randall uh, played arguably his worst game of the season. He scored just 14 points on six of 17 shooting. But the biggest loss from the game might be the injury to Mitchell Robinson. He left the game after just nine minutes of action due to a sprained thumb. So, Tommy, why do you feel like the Knicks looked so hapless against Washington last night? Because when I watched the game, it felt like a team that was lacking energy. It felt like a team that looked tired and uninterested. And that, to me talk the conversation about what the Knicks are going to be doing with this uh, rotation and, and if it's sustainable any longer. Uh, EJ, are you going to call the minutes police on me? If I suggest, <laughs> if I even, if I even mention playing time and like, am I not cool? Like, will you, will look, you call the authorities on me? Look at this point, Tommy, I think we are the minutes police. It's, you know, one of the things where at this point, it's like, I, I think that anytime we talk about it, 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 it becomes a problem. So I, I don't even know if this minutes police to, to call. We, we'll be calling ourselves at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I remain surprised. Um, and, and for those of you that didn't see, um, even in the past couple of days, some of the, the beat reporters, I know the daily news had a story basically saying Tibbs proven successful, like the haters can't say anything now. And even Newsday had a story, uh, last night about, you know, um, I forget what the exact quote was something to the, to the effect of, um, because the Knicks are a few games over 500, you know, you, you, you can't make a case against Tibbs minutes distribution. Um, and then Tibbs himself prior to the game, I got the quote here, um, asked about the nine sticking with the nine man rotation. Tom Thibodeau replied, I know you guys like to create the narrative for your stories and you don't look at it in totality. I don't think we have anyone in the top 20 minutes played. So it is what it is. I think you look at the people in your division, your conference, you look at how they're playing um, their guys more than not, you're trying to match up with them. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the uh, um, something that had been repeated by some of the other, um, like I, like I mentioned, the beat reporters basically saying, you know, they're, they're averaging on the season, they're averaging fewer than 36 minutes, 35 minutes, you know, they're in the 20 to 40 range to me. That is alarming because of the fact that the, the fact that no Nick is in the top 20, despite how incredibly uh, the, the amount of minutes they've logged in the last six weeks right. goes to show you just how much they're playing of late. Um, yeah. you know, I, I broke down the numbers earlier today. First six weeks of the season, Randall averaged 33.1 minutes per game. Over the past six weeks, he's averaging 39.4. Over the first six weeks of the season, Jalen Brunson averaged 32.5 minutes a game. 
This month, he's averaging over 40. He's played at least 38 in every game in January. Again, it's not a season long. The reason we didn't complain about the minutes in, in November and, and early December is because they weren't playing an excessive amount. Right. The reason the minutes are worth mentioning now is because they're put, you know, Tibbs has his foot to the metal in, you know, he's running at a sprinter's pace. He's, he's in the middle of a marathon and he's pushing at a sprinter's pace. Did, did 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 he need to do that to kind of turn the season around? Maybe so. You could you could certainly. Argue. I mean, it's not a clear cut. This you know, it's he's an right. idiot and he's making the wrong. It's not a clear cut. You know, it's not as cut and dry as black and white. Um, you know, you could make the argument that he needed to kind of ratchet things up and get the Knicks on the right side of five hundred and you know get them some wins. Um, but the reality is that should also be discussed. That was the Knicks' easiest stretch of the schedule. Um, mm -hmm. Up until this point in the season, the Knicks have had the fourth easiest schedule in the NBA. The rest of the season, they have the second most difficult schedule in the NBA. Um, right. So they, they ran up some wins during a part of the season that he felt they needed to. Um, and now, was he robbing Peter to pay Paul? Will that bill come due in, in February and March and April? We'll see. But to to, to dismiss it as as you know, not worthy of the entering in the conversation. That's right. I, 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 you lose me because it, it, again, it's something that you should at least have a conversation about if, you know, it, it, the, and for one thing, certainly you can't tell me that Tibbs is right because of the Knicks record, regardless of what it is on January 19th, tell me he was right because of what their record is on April 19th or after the first round of the playoffs or the playing game, whatever the case might be. Um, let's uh, again, keep in mind the big picture um, and just circling back to your initial question what you know they looked flat last night shots were short they didn't close out on contest as much and i think you could argue that it has that one of the factors in that slow sluggish start was their inability to, you know was their being tired the third game in four days um and just you know again they have 40 they have five players averaging over 35 minutes a night that's a lot in 2023 in today's nba Look, uh, the whole concept of Tibbs being right now is uh, is really kind of a biased assessment that favors him because the concern we have is something long term. It's not something short term. That's like right. saying like Tibbs. That's like saying someone decided, look, I'm going to eat cake for dinner for the next three, four months and nothing's going to happen to me. And after the first week, they eat cake and nothing happens to them. They say, see, I ate cake for a week. Nothing happened to me. Why can't I eat cake for four months? And you're like, um, well, something is probably going to happen to you, and that's going to be a problem. So, um, yeah, I, I don't understand that. And what I always bugs me, too, when it comes to uh, the coverage of Tibbs and the coverage of this team, and again, I got a lot of respect, and I love a lot of the beat writers. But the whole they're, – they're so quick to say, see, Tibbs is good. But they don't do that for Leon Rose. Like if there's like if there's anybody who could say, hey, you guys should be off my back, it's Leon Rose for how Jalen Brunson has played, how Quentin Grimes has played in terms of keeping Donovan Mitchell out of that trade. And you don't he doesn't seem to get that kind of respect, even though you could say, well, it's a long term thing. We gotta see how this goes. Okay, that's fair too. Just like this Tibbs thing and them being just four games above five hundred, playing Julius Randle to the max. Um, that is also a short-term thing. Let's see how this goes for a whole season. So it, it seems to be uneven in terms of how they divvy out who deserves credit and who deserves blame. I also find it odd that Tibbs thinks that there's a narrative being created against him. Again, I think he gets great coverage from this press corps, to be honest. I, they don't criticize him that much. They don't go after him that much. Um, they they very, very carefully will kind of poke and prod maybe a little bit when the fans really get out of control. But otherwise, I, I don't know what he's talking about in terms of a narrative being created. But anyway, 
yeah, I mean, I think that when I watched that game um, on on Wednesday night, I, I saw a team that just did not have the energy. And, and the, the one guy who I look at is Julius Randle, who has really been pushed to the limit. And again, I don't really blame him. I mean, he's playing extremely hard. I didn't think his defense was great last night, but I do think he's tired. He did have 15 rebounds. Again, three straight games, 15 rebounds. So he's he's killing it on the glass. But his shot just looked broken. I mean, him and Rui were having a brick off last night. I mean, both of those guys, they shot. It was just hide your eyes. Those shots weren't even close. And look, they're going to need Julius Randle, clearly. And 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 he had that 140-point game against the Pistons, and he played great on Sunday. But if you kind of look at this next, this last four to five-game stretch, He's not shooting the ball that well. And I, I am starting to wonder if he's hitting the wall. And with Obi Toppin returning to the line, this is where you think you would lighten up on his minutes and maybe give him a little bit more of a blow. But it, it just seems like the, the Knicks are, are just committed to saying we got six guys that we know can can really contribute. And we're just going to play those guys as much as we can. I thought that was a game last night where it hurt them. You see, you saw they couldn't close out on the three-point shooters. You saw that we're just ability to beat them off the dribble. And they just they just didn't have it, and they didn't have it. And and as they go through now this tougher stretch coming up, they have you know a, a few more games that you quote unquote say winnable, but it's about to get really tough. And um, if they're already starting to hit the wall now, that's that's that could be a problem as as we kind of close out this season. A hundred percent. This is the first time this season that Randall has shot thirty five percent or below in three in in back to back games. Um, and you just got to wonder, you know, he, he, he played so well in that December to January stretch. I think part of that was because he wasn't overworked from November to mid mid December. Um, you know, so you kind of, you know, you, you build that in and then, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Obi. Um, I'd like to say that Obi should get more time, but it's just, it's seeming more and more likely that Obi's just not going to pop here in New York, whether it's a combination, you know, with Thibodeau and with, with the head coach and the starting power forward kind of entrenched in, you know, in what they do and what they give on a, on a nightly basis. It's tough. I mean, Obi's just standing in the corner now. He's basically yeah. relegated to, you know, what he was early, you know, uh, for most of last season, which is, you know, a glorified version of Steve Novak, where he just stands in the left-hand corner and, and chucks up a couple threes. It's just, it's not proper utilization of him. Um, maybe he just hasn't progressed. His game hasn't progressed enough to the point where he's capable of more, I would argue that uh, I'm not, I'm not positive, you know, that that's the case because we saw the final five games of last season when he averaged like 27, eight, nine, or, you know, what put up those crazy numbers and was knocking down threes, et cetera. And more importantly, taking the ball to the basket. Um, I think his kind of last chance here, and we got, you know, we're three, four weeks away from the deadline, like three weeks away from the deadline. Um, is if he gets some chance to play that four and five combination alongside Randall. Because even if you, even if you, you know, limit Randall's minutes, we know he's not going to go from 40 to 31, you know, maybe he goes like the 35. Um, so we'll see. Um, but again, I think obviously with, we'll see on Mitchell Robinson and we'll get into that later, but that's an enormous um, uh, injury. It's, it's hard to overstate how important yeah. he is, especially on the defensive I, end. I do want to mention Robinson in a second, but we mentioned Obi, his lack of production and effectiveness. It's something we talked about a couple of podcast episodes ago that I think may be affecting him now as he returns. We talked about how the Knicks earlier in the season were essentially a fast-breaking up-and-down team. They were one of the top teams when it comes to pace. And I think Obi, so if you remember how he started the season, he started playing, he was playing so well. It really looked like, man, if if Randall plays any any decent, like his days are numbered, like they're going to get him out of there and Obi's going to be the four. 
that's how well he was playing for those first five to ten games of the season as Knicks were kind of racing up and down the court. The Knicks are now one of the worst teams when it comes to pace. I say worse, and like their offense has been good, but they're not high in, in pace numbers. And I think Obi's return to a team that is now living in the half court. And if, in the Knicks offense, if you're living in a half court, his role in it is to just stand in the corner. Um, yeah. they, they don't move him enough. They don't do a lot. So because it's heavy uh, reliance on isolation and heavy reliance on creating switch, switches and mismatches for certain guys, it doesn't really it doesn't really accentuate his strengths. So I think in some ways he got hurt and returned to a team that fits him even worse than it did before. At least before they were playing up and down. Now they're playing at more of a, a snail's pace in, in today's NBA. Of course, if this team played in 2021, 2001, they'd be the fastest pace team in the NBA. But, but they're less, le- 30th in the NBA pace over the last six weeks. Exactly. So he's returned to a team now that is the, probably the worst fit for him, maybe in the NBA. He's the guy that has to be getting up and down. And he's playing with the slowest pace team in the league. So I, I think when we talk about what has been his problems with, with being more impactful, um, it is his role. But also the fact that the Knicks don't get up, get up and down the court, he's getting no easy baskets. And that's where he used to kill teams. I mean, he's one of the fa- he's one of the fastest guys in the end in the league. And the Knicks are not using that at all. So uh that's where his his production has has, has suffered. So that's unfortunate. This Mitchell Robinson injury or this thumb injury, uh, how much does this impact the Knicks here? I mean, Mitchell Robinson, I think we saw in that game how impactful he is on the glass. All of a sudden, Chris Asporzingas was just a monster on the glass last night. I mean, they they could not contain him on the offensive glass. And a lot of that had to do with Mitchell Robinson not being in there. So if you're talking about this, you know, a thumb injury, you know, we've seen some guys be able to play through uh, torn ligaments and, and things of that nature. So so maybe there's something he plays through. Uh, maybe it's something he needs surgery and he has to sit out a month or two. But uh, if he's out for a considerable amount of time, what does this mean for the Knicks? Yeah, I, I mean, make no mistake. It's it, they, they are a completely different team when he's on the floor, especially with how poorly Isaiah Hardenstein's played for most right. of the season, especially the last couple months, last couple weeks. I mean, just around the rim, it just cannot buy a bucket. Um, gave up an offensive rebound late in, in the fourth quarter yesterday uh, to Beal. Um, you know, just for, for whatever positives he brings to the table, he's a lot different player than Mitchell Robinson and Mitchell Robinson just fits in, fits in really well alongside the Randall and Brunson, um, and, and Grimes kind of uh, triumvirate, um, where Hardenstein just doesn't bring that to the table. So, um, Mitch Rob on the season, uh, his individual net rating is plus 3.6 per 100 possessions. That's tied with Emmanuel quickly for the highest on the team. Um, and it matches the eye test. The Knicks just perform better. Um, as a cohesive unit when Mitch Rob is back there, again, especially on the defensive end, when he protects the basket, rebounds. And even when he doesn't rebound, he's a good at blocking out. There's a lot of reason why Randall's rebound numbers are so high. Mitch Rob isn't one of those bigs that chases rebounds. He's content um, to let you know his front court partner, power forward, uh, gobble up a lot of the rebounds, um, whereas Mitch attacks more on the offensive glass. Those extra possessions that he gets the Knicks, um, you know, unfortunately, we're just going to have to wait. It doesn't make a lot of sense to speculate. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon as we await word on, on what Mitchell Robinson, but if he's out for an extended period of time, um, it's going to shake things up. It's going to make the trade conversation interesting. Are the Knicks comfortable going with um, Hartenstein and Sims, which most teams don't have three good centers. The Knicks do have, so they have, you know, a, a, a decent quality, um, especially what we thought Hartenstein would bring coming into the season. Maybe, hopefully, they play um, Randall at the five and Obi at the four a little bit more often. Um, so we'll see how that plays itself out. But that obviously shakes up um, – what we can expect from the Knicks going forward, especially as they enter into um, a different, a difficult stretch of the schedule. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Mitchell Robinson, he's one of the more valuable players on the Knicks. I mean, we, we talk about how important Brunson and Randall are, but it's me, what Mitchell Robinson does defensively, what Mitchell Robinson does on the class, on the officer's lap particularly, the Knicks don't really have anybody else like him. Um, so when he goes out, it's very noticeable. And to me, it was extremely noticeable last night. Um, the Wizards were able to do whatever they wanted offensively, and it started with the fact that the Knicks really had no answer in defending the rim. And they saw the Warriors be able to get into the paint, uh, score at the basket, or get into the paint and throw it out to three point shooters. And and it was a it was it was it was a tough watch watching the Knicks try to guard a Wizards team that is decent offensively, but they they, they made the Wizards look like one of the best offenses in the league last night um, with Mitch Robinson. Out. Yeah, uh, Wizards outside the top twenty in three point percentage, um, shot nearly forty percent from three. They were seven to twelve in the first quarter. Um, a lot of the, again, a lot of those were open looks as the Knicks just didn't seem to have the legs to get out and chase guys. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and again, it's the minutes that the Knicks play, and also the style that they play. They want to ground and pound, and um, you know, make it difficult. Tibbs demands, you know, that that, that, that the, a certain way that they play, so it's like extra minutes on top of that. You know, we know love Tibbs loves playing drop defense. It's one of those yep. buzz words for the season. I hope that if Mitchell Robinson is gone, you see the Knicks do more switching. Um, Hardenstein, maybe not as much, but Jericho Sims can switch on to a lot of different players. He's very quick on the perimeter. And even though he's very athletic, he kind of has short arms, so he's not necessarily the greatest rim protector. So I I thought one of the mistakes the Knicks made last night, because, you know, Tibbs making an adjustment in a game, (laughs) um, (laughs) was the fact that we didn't see them actually start switching more um, once Mitchell Robinson went out. I would hope that uh, you'd see that more if Mitch Robinson's gone. I hope that you would see more uh, four or five OB and Randall lineups because, as we saw, the Knicks, if Robinson's out, they're not going to be a good rebounding team. Like, that's just, it is what it is. Like, they're not going to be able to out rebound people. That's not going to become a strength anymore. So, um, they're going to need some scoring pop. They're going to need some offense. They're going to have to play a more up tempo style. So, this is where we talk about, you know, Tiz is earning credit. Okay. This is where you earn your paycheck. You lose one of your best players. How do you adjust with the guys you have? Knicks have talented players. It's not like this is, okay, the Knicks lose Mitch Robinson, the season's over. They, they should be able to, to hold water here just a little bit. You can't let, you know, you can't let go of the rope now because you lose Mitch. So I, I'm really hoping we do see those adjustments. Um, one of the other last things I want to talk about with this game was Chris Tasporzingis because, oh, it was interesting last night. It felt like the, the, the normal Chris Stapps visit to New York has usually been extremely hostile. It didn't feel as hostile as it's been in the past. Um, we saw Chris Stapps last week speak about how he felt like, you know, he things could have been better in New York, and he thought that, you know, every other city was like New York playing it, uh, in the NBA. He's learned that, that that nothing's like the Mecca, nothing's like Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was actually surprised that he kind of continued this chatter even in even to uh, Wednesday night because he, he was asked about it again, and he spoke at length about it. And I want you guys to hear – what he had to say because I was surprised he went this far talking about what happened in this game. But basically he had said that uh, the trade, the way the trade happened, some dumb stuff, uh, some cryptic tweets, the process was just a mess. I didn't like the way things ended and that wasn't how I wanted it to end. I mean, Tommy, what did you make of what you heard from Chris Stapps yesterday? I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I, I find it, I found it very interesting actually the whole starting with the um, interview with NBA.com where he kind of echoed similar sentiments to me, it, it it sounded like, and, and I tweeted, it was kind of like 
an ex that's kind of checking in, you know, like just trying to lay the groundwork of possibly getting back together with an old flame, you know, just trying mm -hmm. to see if, if, you know, if that, if there, if there are hard feelings, obviously we, when we broke up, I said some things I shouldn't have said, you probably said some things you regret as well. Um, but now with the years gone by, maybe some other relationships that fizzled out, I maybe didn't appreciate what we had when we had it. Um, you know, he was a 21 year old kid. He's without calling out his brothers. He said some people got in my ear and, you know, and, yeah. said, and advised me to do some things that, that I probably shouldn't have done. Um, so it just looks like he kind of looks back, uh, you know, on the on his experience in New York. Um, and it doesn't reflect properly as, as how much he loved it during the time. Um, you know, it's like, you know, again, when you're in a relationship, you know, emotions run high and low. Um, and I think because he was so happy here and in Britain, he was so embraced by the city. Um, that's why it made the breakup so difficult from both the fans and the, and the player perspective. Um, but for me, that's just kind of laying the groundwork as, as giving himself options. Maybe he's just smartly, maybe his agent has advised him, Hey, it's good. If you have, if you have New York, um uh you know bidding you know yeah, whatever right, you're a free agent yeah. no matter what sport you're in you know like you want to you want to bid right. you want you want a new york team to be in the bidding um uh, but yeah no but honestly to me like just how honest and forthright he was it, it did seem like um he wanted to he hoped to kind of give it another chance at some point in the future he, he'll be a free he he has a player option after this season um i don't expect him to leave 35 plus million on the table um but should he hit unrestricted free agency the year after that um who knows what happens where the Knicks are, et cetera. And he's still risky due to the injuries, et cetera. Um, but he's a talented big man. I, I personally would love to see um, him to return to the garden at some point um, and, 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 you know, just try to, uh, you know, everyone loves a, a, a good, you know, a story with a happy ending. And I think both sides would like it at some point, if, and when that, that time presents itself. Yeah. And let me, let me try, uh, let me try one more time. You guys to hear Chris Sapps in his own words about, uh, what went down with the Knicks here? Okay. But, um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think just you know the way the trade happened. Like I did some dumb stuff, like some cryptic tweets and some what what above that. The whole process was just a mess, you know. Okay. Um, so I didn't like the way things ended. I'm not. I wasn't like how I wanted it to end. If it did end, you know. And uh, and yeah, it's just. I kind of try to stay myself throughout this whole time, you know, not do anything, not say anything. Uh, if I should have said anything, it was right after I got traded. Now it's it's too late. And I think now maybe fans are, are eating up on me and kind of understanding that it was, it was what it was at that moment when I was young. And, and, and I got traded. And, you know, of course I was hurt. And that's why I put some some dumb tweets out there or whatever I did. And, and, but I think people are starting to maybe forgive me a little bit. And, and, and we're moving past that. So, yeah, I mean, Chris Daps, look, he talks about that he was hurt and that could have led to him deciding, well, he put some tweets out because, you know, he couldn't let his play do the talking at that time. So he's like, let me, I actually do my, my, my let my talking do the talking uh, there. And look, at the end of the day, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it, with Chris Stapps, you know, it's, it's like when you have those relationships with people, you say, you know, what's your relationship with Chris Stapps? You're like, ah, uh, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's how I feel with Chris Stapps. It's like, you know, first of all, to me, like when he got traded, I said, look, he's ultimate New York villain. Like, get this clown out of here. And years have gone by. Uh, I still think he acted like a clown when he was here. 
And, you know, I think, is it appreciative? Do you like hearing, hey, I was probably dumb with how I approached that? Yeah, it doesn't hurt per se. Does it mean that I'm wishing for a, a return? Not really at this point. You know, I think we've seen, you know, him not live up to the billing and, and the potential that a lot of people saw from him with the Knicks. Uh, but it, it is nice to see that he's, I guess, moved on from the whatever situation that that, that he had and the issues he had with the Knicks in New York. And um, in some ways, I think if there was anything I, I, I did enjoy hearing from him, it was the adage that, you know, this place is not like other places. Because how often have we, we, we've seen, especially as Nick fans, people try to tell you that what you off, what you have to offer in the fan base, in the atmosphere at Massive Garden is not special. We, I mean, we've heard that now for decades at this point. And it, it's, it's nonsense. Now, that doesn't mean that you, these players that decide not to go to Nick should have overlooked that um, and said, well, look, they have a bad team. That's why I'm not going. And that's fine. But a lot of times it's been, the, you know, Kevin Durant, they're not cool anymore. And, you know, and, 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 you know, there's special places all around the NBA. I think for a former Nick who wanted out and is now left in the scene, the grass is not so green on the other side to come back and say, hey, what the Knicks have with Madison Square Garden and that fan base is special. And for me to throw that away the way I did was stupid. And I think that Chris Ash understands that, so I can appreciate that. But very interesting comments from Chris Asporzingis. And they there are segment of Nick fans who do want him back. I mean, that I, I, I've seen it out there. Um, look, and now you have a Mr. Robinson injury, so I'm sure that maybe those uh, those that chorus will get louder. I, I would be surprised if he ever comes back, especially given um, – how do we put this with James Dolan? He remembers everything. Let me just say that. So James Dolan remembers everything. So sure. will he be so ready to, you know, put – you know that aside and, and bring back someone like Porzingis it would surprise me but it's sports so uh so never say never with anything but Knicks do lose a game um a game which was not all that interesting but I thought the comments after the game were were very interesting from Chris S. Porzingis but um they do have a game against the Hawks we will preview that on the next podcast we record on Friday but I do want to talk about the trade deadline which is officially three weeks away and there's one report that the Knicks could be interested in a reunion. So Mark Stein reports that trade talks centered around Knicks forward Cam Reddish have indeed intensified of late. The Mavs, Bucks, and Lakers are all said to be interested in the former lottery pick out of Duke. The Knicks are reportedly looking for second-round compensation in any deal that involves Reddish. And when it comes to the negotiations with the Mavericks, the team is allegedly pursuing Reggie Bullock. So Reggie Bullock, former Nick. Played here. He was on that team. He was a starter on a team that had number four, number four seed in 2021. Uh, he has struggled with the Mavericks in signing with them in the offseason of, of 2021. He's shooting just 37% from the field this season and 34% from three. But he has gotten late of, hot of late. He had 18 in the, the uh, Dallas loss to Atlanta on Wednesday. He had a season high 24 points um, in the Trailblazers win or Trailblazers loss on Saturday. So he's starting to play a lot better, even though he's had a miserable season. Sign says Bullock is a Tom Thibodeau favorite, which could uh, be a reason why Knicks are interested. So Tommy, uh, would you be on board with the Knicks pursuing Bullock here? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy 
Price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I can't get excited about Reggie Bullock. I mean, for one, you know, he's a 31-year-old, 32-year-old guy averaging six points, shooting 38% from the floor, you know, 52% right. effective field goal percentage. Um, and the other thing that really hasn't gotten mentioned a lot, but he's in the second year of a three-year $30 million contract. He's making $10 million this season and $10.5 million the year after uh, next season. Um, Knicks are probably going to be over the cap anyway this summer, so it's not like it crushes their cap space or, you know, that's a, a reason not to add a player. Um, right. But, uh, you know, listen, would it make some sense? Sure. Again, as we've talked about, Nick's, you know, he would he would replace a guy like McBride in the rotation, um, give you a little more solid, give you a little more stability on the offensive end of the floor. Um, maybe not quite as good a defender as, as a young McBride at this point, um, but, but Bullock has built a reputation as being a solid wing defender, perimeter defender throughout his career. Um, so he's certainly not a net negative. Um, that's the reason the Mavs have still kept him in the rotation and um, because he still contributes on the defensive end. Um, but again, I would much rather pursue Caruso, um, Malik Beasley, Eric Gordon, those type of players before settling for Bullock. I think they can get Bullock at 259 on trade deadline day if, if they I think the Mavs yeah. would love, you know I think the Mavs would love to get off off Bullock and his money. Um so I think that's something to put on the back burner and something that they can explore if these other you know prime you know target players that in my opinion they should target ahead of block full through um that's something they can fall back on but yeah it just um it wouldn't be a terrible move um you know reddish for bullock deal but it's it's for, for it's just not something you can get excited about yeah bullock it's it's it's, it's interesting to me for a couple of reasons one the knicks need a backup wing like i i've been saying that on this show now for weeks like that is something they desperately need like the fact that we're seeing so many minutes from RJ quickly and grind essentially because they kind of are rotating the two, three spot between just three guys and they are not going to play Cam Redder. So there needs to be someone else in that spot. And then IQ gets time at the one. So that complicates things even further with that two, three spots. So they need another body. And we look, we know Bullock knows the offense. He knows the defense principles. Um, he's been able to perform at in New York city to a decent level. So that stuff, I understand to some degree, Bullock has played so terribly this season. Like, I don't think, like, for people who aren't following Dallas, like, and, and those numbers I mentioned I mentioned that weren't all that impressive. I mean, they they, they shot up because of how he shot recently. I mean, <laughs> that game against the uh, Blazers, I think he shot, like, 8 for 10 from 3. Like, he had, like, 8 threes. He went crazy in that game. Um, and then in the game he had against the against the, the Hawks on Wednesday night, he had another big game from 3. So uh, the 3 point percentage shot up to 34%. He was shooting around 30%. 29% for most of the season. Field goal percentage is sitting around 34%. So he's been he's been an awful basketball player, to be honest. So there's that part of it. We say, okay, he's played poorly for the majority of the season. Now, he did start slow last season for Dallas and played well late, played well in the playoffs. So maybe this is kind of just what he's been doing there, where he starts slow and he picks it up. But as you said, he's 32. You said, like, I mean, he's kind of an older player at this point. Like, he just might not be able to, to contribute and produce the way he did in 2021. And 
he was a decent contributor then, but it wasn't like this guy was a star. So if he's diminished even a little bit from that player, I don't know how much he really brings to the table. What I will say, though, is I don't know how much value Cam Reddish has. So, you know, when they're talking to these teams, I don't know, you know, those teams, the Mavs, Lakers, and Bucks, I mean, none of those teams are uh, in a situation where they can just absorb Cam's contract. So something is coming back. So they didn't mention what the Bucks and Lakers are offering in terms of players, but I can't imagine it's anybody that is going to contribute on the roster. So if those are the three teams that want Cam Reddish and Bullock is the guy that we, the best guy they can get, I say, I guess, why not? But is, is, do I think this is going to make a big difference? Only in the sense that RJ and, and Grimes and those guys won't get, you know, they won't get buried with with a bunch of uh, uh, time in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, just being outworked and then just being overworked, rather. That if they will give a guy, they'll, there's a guy on the bench that can give them 15, 20 minutes, get a couple of shots and defend some people. That, I think, would be the plus. But you're right. Like, there, there are other options out there that I think are a lot more attractive than, Bullock, and I, I would hope that if they do make a reddish move, and this is the move that there is another move on the table where they can get another wing that's a little bit more viable, uh, a little bit more of a, of a threat, and a guy that can really boost this uh, bench because they need bench scoring badly. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you, the I guess the the why not would be, would you rather just have Cam Reddish the rest of the season and let his contract expire, and then, you know he signs with another team Whoa, free agency, and having the ten point five million dude Bullock, yeah. and then you're gonna have to tri- attach second round draft picks to get rid of Bullock should you need yeah. their cap space for whatever reason, whatever you know something happens, um, you know, uh, you know, just or if you could just trade Reddish at the deadline for a second protected second round pick, get that you know w- you know kind of close the chapter and then get a, a future second rounder as opposed to kicking the can down the road and adding salary, um, you know you know that type of thing whereas if you could you know and then and then sign another um because we know players i don't want to say not as good as bullock but there'll be other players that get bought out after the deadline that the knicks could sign and bring That's in for, for depth on the wing yeah and, and for a lot less money and the one thing too is with bullock to remember that to be fair that last year on the contract is i believe partially guaranteed okay i think 5 million 5.4 million is guaranteed in 2024 okay so I mean, now would the Knicks would the Knicks cut Bullock on June twenty eighth? I don't know. Like, I don't like. I don't know. Like, we know how much Tibbs love this guy. Like, right, could, right, right. Tibbs convince him to keep him around, maybe. But I mean, even if you do say we'll cut him, all right, you're you're you know it's five million dollars in dead cap space that you are committing to. Not a, a fortune, but it is something. So there's there's a, there's a lot to weigh there. Um, is again, this is not this would not be my first move. The only the only thing about Bullock too that would concern me a little bit is I think if you're going to get a guy to be that wing or off ball guard off the bench, I think you need somebody that can shot create a little bit. Yes. Like the, like the problem I think the Knicks have is they have too many ducks on offense when it comes to the bench, like OB's a duck because they don't put him in anything except for the corner. Uh, we know when uh, McBride gets the ball, he's a duck. Cause he, you know, he, he, he's lacking confidence offensively. Um, Parton signs a duck. Uh, Simmons is uh, very athletic, but nonetheless a duck, <laughs> unless he's five feet around the basket. So they need, besides quickly, they don't have anybody that can create their own shot, anybody who can get offense for their own. So if you add Bullock, Bullock is a duck unless he's wide open for a three. Yes. And even then, it's like, I mean, he's been shooting terribly this year. So, like, even that's like now, I don't know what he's giving offensively. So that would be my, my biggest thing. I, I do like that he can defend a little bit. But if you're going to get a guy to be that off-ball guard, 
somebody else. It needs to be somebody else that can create their own shot. It can't just be those guys out there and RJ is the only guy that can create his own shot or um or Brunson's the only guy that creates his own shot when they go with the you know four backups and one starter or IQs with with those guys. Like that can't happen. Like they need somebody else who can create their own shot. So that would be my my uh my, my concern with Bullock. Really quickly though, uh what do you feel about the the Knicks in the second round compensation with for Reddish? That sound right to you? Like I see it sounds like they look for maybe multiple second round picks. A player is worth, uh, you know, in, in, in anything, a player is worth what another team's willing to part with to, to to obtain him. And at this stage of the game, I'd be surprised if any team was willing to give more than the two second rounders. So, yeah, I think that's probably what Nick fans can expect because it's basically adequate compensation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two second round picks, you know, let's see if they can get two. Um, you know, maybe they only get one, but. At the end of the day, look, this is this is the bed that they made, so they had to lie in it. You know, they they traded for a guy they gave a heavily protected first, um, thinking that they 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 maybe got a steal, and they they've not really given him the opportunity to really kind of you know show if if he could you know surprise people and 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 play at a high level. Though when he has played, he's been very much a mixed bag. So now uh, that value's been. Uh, you know, he's been depressed to a point where this is kind of what you're going to get. And they're going to be teams that are interested because they're teams that can use that kind of length that will be intrigued by that talent. I think the teams like the Lakers, Bucks and Mavs being the teams that are interested in him is like the least surprising thing. Like those are teams that absolutely would take a chance on this guy because, um, you know, the Bucks and Mavs are teams that are capped out, don't have uh, certain, you know, lower lottery picks. So they're going to take a chance on a, on a young guy who maybe could pop. They'll have his bird right, so if they want to resign him, they should be able to do that, and then they, they they'll take the flyer, you know. And the Lakers, they're desperate for just any any <laughs> any able bodied, breathing six eight <laughs> player <laughs> that that can that can that can put the ball between his legs. So so they'll take Cam Reddish for sure. So that, those three teams aren't surprising. LeBron James thirty two points last night. The rest of the 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 rest of the starting lineup combined had nineteen, I think. Beverly Schroeder. Troy Brown Jr. and Thomas Bryant are were the, were the four starters um, that they surrounded LeBron James with. Um, Wayne Gabriel, Juan Toscano Anderson, seen major minutes. It is a shame that what has happened to LeBron and that he's still playing at an incredibly high level and he's playing with a 2007-2008 Cavs team around them. Um, it, it is it is really disappointing because it would be fun to see LeBron make a make a deep playoff push this year. And I, I don't want to bang on the kid because he actually played really well last night, but like. I would watch that Laker game, some of it last night. And, you know, they go to the bench, and I see Max Christie come out there, and I'm like, what are we doing here? And again, it's not against Max Christie, because people who know me with my draft comment, my draft evaluation, I actually really like Max Christie a lot. But he is so raw and so young, and he looks so young. Like, he looks like a child. He goes out there, and like the first play, you know, Russ does something wild, and then he throws the Christie, and, you know, Christie doesn't do he throws like some crazy floater goes off the backboard i'm just like and he ended up having to really get me at 12 points after that but that was like his first play in the second quarter i'm like oh my god what are, what are the lakers doing um uh this is these are the guys that are playing with the guy lebron james 30 years old trying to complete his legacy and you know uh young max christie who is a development kind of player is playing 27 minutes in a game against a, a playoff caliber team the kings i mean what's happening with the lakers is just mess it's kind of yeah it's kind of uh, incomprehensible but um, let's uh, let's wrap the show talking about uh, the midseason report card. So we're at the end of our series, giving out midseason grades, and we're going to talk about the men in the middle. The Knicks bigs sometimes don't get uh, the same amount 
of attention they should, but we're going to make them the focus of our final midseason report guard. So, of course, Mitchell Robinson has been a linchpin for the Knicks at the center position for much of the season after signing a four-year, $60 million contract to stay in New York this offseason. The other Knicks frontcourt uh, acquisition this offseason was Isaiah Hardenstein. He has struggled adjusting to his new role with the New York Knicks. You also had your second-year big and Jericho Sims, who has seen some extended minutes with injuries to the rotation. Let's talk about these guys. Let's start with Mitchell Robinson. What grade are you giving Big Mitch? I'm giving him a B plus. Uh, I think he's done really, you know, really yeoman's effort on the glass each night defensively, protecting the rim. As I mentioned earlier, um, he's tied with the quickly for team lead and in, in individual net rating. Team's just better with him on the floor. Um, and uh, without him, you know, kind of cleaning up the mistakes behind Randall um, and, and R.J. Barrett, who, you know, we didn't talk about it, but Kuz, again, ate his lunch, just embarrassed him. Um, 40 last Friday, what is it, 27, 13, and yeah, 7 27. On, on Wednesday night. Um, again, you know, we mentioned Barrett in the grades, his defensive regression this season. It's been on full display these last couple nights against Kuzma, who's who's really embarrassed him. Um, and that's something that that the Knicks need to, uh, you know, work on. And again, but part of it, it's not as exposed as it might be um, because Mitch is such a great rim protector um, behind Barrett uh, at the rim. So, um, yeah, have to give, um, you know, that, that there were some questions raised when that contract was handed out. Um, and it's, we'll see if it pans out because again, he's injured. It's, you know, tends to be something with Robinson. It's very difficult for, for yeah. him to stay on the floor. Even when he's playing, he's in foul trouble. He's done a little bit better on that regard lately. Um, but he, you know, his, his staying healthy has always been an issue throughout his career. Hopefully there's nothing major with this dumb issue going on now. Um, but it, as far as when he's on the floor, when he's been on the floor of the season, um, has really given you all you could ask for. Yeah, I'm right. On, I'm right with you on B plus. I think that's a solid place to to, to grade Mitch. Uh, I think that he's shown great toughness. I think that he's been uh, he's had some injuries, but he's been more durable this year than in previous years. We'll see what happens with thumb injury, more of a, a freak injury there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, his defense, uh, what he does on the offensive class, like I really, you know, again, I, I give credit where credit is due. One thing I really loved what Tom Thibodeau did this year was, you know, prior to the season saying that. You know, he thought Mitchell Robinson was the best offensive rebound in the league, something that he'd not earned, quite frankly. I, I mean, Mitchell Robinson's been always been good on the offensive class, but he's not he did not earn that billing. But to me, that was that was actually Tibbs challenging Mitch to live up to that billing. And he pretty much has. I mean, he dominates on the offensive glass night in, night out. So I think Tibbs challenging him in that way, and Mitchell Robinson playing up to that billing, I think has been awesome. Uh I, I wish he, you know, was a little better at the free throw line. I wish he was a little better with the fouls, but, you know, he kind of is what he is at this point. You know, I, I think that he's still young, so there's still probably some, some room for a little bit of growth. But um, if he could just keep those in check, you know, he can go from being like a 25-minute player to, you know, a 30, 31, 32-minute player. And those numbers that look great per 36, you know, you'll start to see them look a lot like his regular averages. Like sometimes you look at his average and say, oh, eight points, eight rebounds, 8.7 rebounds. Like how impressive is that? It's like, well, He's on the floor long enough to have even a bigger impact. Like he could easily be, uh, you know, a thirteen and thirteen kind of guy easily. And, and he just and, stayed, stayed on the floor. And the last time anybody ran a play for him was high school in in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, the Knicks haven't run a play for him in, in in since he since he signed. So, yeah, yeah. So so I think that we've seen Mitch uh, do what he was expected. I think he's earned his money. So a, a good season so far from him. Isaiah Harden signed. A little bit of a uh, a little bit of an enigma recently, a little bit of a of a villain amongst Knicks fandom 
for his play of late. What do you make of uh, Isaiah Hartenstein this season, his grade? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with a C minus, um, would probably lean towards a D. Um, but I think some of his um, inability, inefficiency, lack of production stems from the way he's being used. Um, but that being said, he's on the floor. He has an opportunity to contribute. He's had a ton of shots in and around the rim of late, shooting 33% from the floor over his last eight in January. And it's not like he's taken a bunch of threes. He's taken two threes um, this entire month. Um, you know, it's it's you know, shots are in and around the rim inside the circle, the floaters that he was hitting that really sustained his value over the first, you know, couple months of the season. He, those haven't been falling, um, yep. you know, getting out rebounded on occasion, getting out played when he's out there. Um, and I was a, a proponent of signing him. I thought, you know, the, the two year, $60 million deal was a great, uh, was, was a great value contract for the Knicks. Um, so I'll take some heat here. Um, he just has not lived up to expectations. Um, and I think he's one of the players, you know, depending on what Mitch is going on with Robinson, that he might thrive more in a different system and another team might see that. Um, like he's yeah. one of those guys along with Obi, if I'm another GM, um, those are the kind of guys I try to pluck and, and steal at a, at a, at a buy low bargain, you know, bargain basement price. Um, we'll see if another team does, but as far as his production on the court, um, he just, it's, it's hard to be overly, uh, you know, laudatory of, of what he's brought to the floor since signing with New York. Yeah, I'll I'll go with a C for for Isaiah Hardenstein. That may seem a little generous <laughs> for some people, but I'll go a C because it maybe it maybe this will sound generous, but I I do feel like he plays hard every night, and I think that that is something that can't be taken for granted per se. Um, he hasn't been necessarily the most effective, but I, it's rare that I've watched him and felt like he hasn't been giving maximum effort. Which when they did bring him in, one thing Leon did say was that look, this guy is going to be on the floor. He's going to be uh, he's going to be fighting every possession, and that's essentially what he's been. So I, I, I guess I, I respect that part of his game. Definitely a dirty work kind of guy. It's just, you know, just bringing nothing offensively, man. I mean, just, I mean, those floaters that, I mean, again, another hydrized shot that I watched uh, uh, this year has been, you know, there's like, there's like several hydrized shots in Knicks fandom that I've lived with. Uh, the Tony Douglas floater, um, the Julius Randle year one spin move. Like there are certain shots where you're just like that shot is never gonna go in, and I'm tired from shooting it. Isaiah Hardenstein floater is really approaching that that category right now. Shot that he was actually making a little yes. bit earlier in the year. Uh, he can't buy one now, and it's such like when he misses it, it looks like such a low percentage shot that it just infuriates you. You're just like just go to rim and get fouled at least. Like just throw your body around. Like just just throw up that floater from ten feet out, and you see it roll off the rim. I mean, I, I'm starting to get sick of that. So. Yeah, I think that the offensive of production hasn't been great. Uh, I do give him a little bit of a break as well because of how he's being used. But, yeah, right now the signing, uh, looking like the worst move Leon Ruiz has made this offseason, to be honest. I mean, maybe someone could argue not getting Mitchell would be the worst. But um, but other moves that actually were made, th this one is not looking very good. And I don't know. It's tough because I, I think that he would have been a great trade candidate. But now that Mitch is out, potentially, we don't know as we're recording right now on Thursday afternoon. We don't know how long Mitch could be out if he's out at all. But now I'm like, unless there's an upgrade coming in the backup spot, like I don't know how you trade them. So they're going to have to figure out something with hard sign because this, this is not worked out very well. And, and maybe that's what he needs. Maybe, you know, if he gets, you know, inserted into the starting lineup for a few games, it re-sparks and, you know, they, 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 you know, the game plan. Was, I'm not, you know, Tibbs isn't the greatest at making adjustments, but maybe they kind of focus the offense a little bit more to, to utilize his strengths. We'll see. Yeah, sometimes – 
backups who then get start getting starters minutes. Like, you know, you're able to get in rhythm a little better. Like we saw I- IQ play a lot better when he saw those minutes. I think we've seen other guys when their minutes have increased, Quentin Grimes play a lot better. So maybe this is what Isaiah Hartenstein needs actually to play more, which probably terrifies a lot of Nick fans, but this is where we're at potentially. Um, last one, last grade for the midseason report card, Jericho Sims, second round big, uh, second round pick. He has been in, he's played a lot, like played a lot more. I think maybe I expected to start the season given Hartenstein, you know, uh, Hartenstein in his signing, but Sims has played for OB. He's played when Mitch has been out. Um, he played a lot uh, in the, this past game against the Wizards. What grade are you giving Jericho Sims? Uh, I'll give him a B minus. Yeah, I think he's been productive. You know, shooting his numbers don't jump off the page. Three point five rebounds, four point two boards, and in twelve and a half minutes. Um, but shooting seventy seven percent from the floor. Obviously, all those shots in and at the rim. Um, but you know, it use, utilizes his otherworldly athleticism. Um, you know, and, and and doesn't do more than he's asked to do. Runs the floor well. Um, rim runs. Uh, protects the basket, good defender, versatile defender, could switch out on some smaller, quicker, you know, forwards. Um, the Knicks may have to utilize that going forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I listen, you know, you can't expect too much of a, of a second rounder, but he's solidified himself as an NBA rotation player. And I think that's definitely a positive, a huge net positive, especially for um, the contract, the value contract that he signs here. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give Jericho Sims a B. Uh, I think that, you know, he had some moments, especially if you remember that like little Western Western Conference swing they had earlier this season when it looked like maybe Knicks would you know completely let go of the rope and things get dark and you know he had a really big stop against uh, uh, Jamal Murray in a game against Denver and, and they won a couple of games where he played a lot of minutes. So uh, I think Jericho Sims has been fine. You know I think in some ways one of the one of the things I talked about when they signed Hardenstein was. I, I because of what I saw from Jericho at the end of last season, I kind of felt like he might be ready for backup minutes now. So how how needed was uh was he? And now I'm not I'm not sure if that was the case. So I don't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I, I do feel like it's 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 been a season where Sims you wonder if he would have just came in as a backup big man and they would have, you know, used that traffic on something else or, um, or use that money somewhere else. Like maybe get a wing who could, who could, who could contribute. Maybe that would have been better, better fit for them uh, this season. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But now as it turns out, maybe they need him. you know, with the, you know, depending on, on what happens with Mitch Rob, he could end up playing some very valuable minutes during an important stretch and some difficult games in the you know, immediate future for the year. Yeah, so that's gonna that's gonna do it for our midseason uh, grades, and, and and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. There's a lot to uh, a lot to decipher, a lot to be done for the rest of this way. And that's also gonna do it for this episode of the Orange and Blue Buds podcast. Tommy, let's keep going. Find at Tommy here on find me Thank you guys for the second time for uh, Tommy. I'm Jay.